0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our first reading this morning in connection with our text, which will be Psalm 124. Our first reading is 2 Samuel chapter 8, the verses 1 through 14. David is recorded as the author of Psalm 124. And it's in that connection, therefore, that we read about his the list of his victories here in 2 Samuel 8. In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and he took Metheg Emma from the control of the Philistines. David also defeated the Moabites, made them lie down on the ground and measured them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were put to death, and the third length was allowed to live. So the Moabites became subject to David and brought tribute. Moreover, David fought Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah, when he went to restore his control along the Euphrates River. David captured a thousand of his chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 of them. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Arameans became subject to him and brought tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David took the gold shields that belonged to the officers of Hadadezar and brought them to Jerusalem. From Teba and Barothai, towns that belonged to Hadadezar, King David took a great quantity of bronze. When Tao, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadadezer, he sent him. He sent his son Joram to King David to greet him and to congratulate him on his victory in the battle over Hadadizar, who had been at war with Tal. Joram brought with him articles of silver and gold and bronze. David dedicated these articles to the Lord, as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations he subdued, Edom and Moab, the Ammonites and the Philistines, and Amalek. He also dedicated the plunder taken from Hadadizar, son of Re- Rehob, king of Zoba, And David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. We'll also turn to the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read the verses 1 through 20 And always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Our text this morning is Psalm 124. It's one of the songs of ascents songs that the pilgrims would sing as they made their way up to Jerusalem for the three-times-a-year festivals. Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken. We have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The last verse of Psalm 124 is very familiar to us. It's the one that we confess every time we gather together as church to worship Him. We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. And so this psalm is famous for that reason. This ties very closely With that other famous Psalm that's very close by to this, Psalm 121, with that question, that question that, that is so persistent in the hearts and in the minds, in the lives of all people, really. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? It's a persistent question for all people, even for believers. It is a question that constantly comes into our minds and into our hearts as we face the realities of life in this broken world. But for the people of God, for those who have been called by God into His covenant, into that relationship of, of salvation and love and peace that He gives, into that formal and binding and beautiful relationship, as much as that question comes to mind and comes to heart, so much does the answer come before us in God's Word, as it is again this morning. Where does our help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord. And so it is that David urges God's people David urges us, the Holy Spirit urges us, to take that confession upon our lips today and tomorrow and the next day and every day of our lives. As long as God is loving and faithful, our help is in the name of the Lord. So let the church confess that. That's our theme this morning. And we'll follow David as we consider that theme and we'll consider along with him as, as he goes to that, that area that is perhaps difficult to go to, what could have been, what would have happened if the Lord was not our help? And then we'll consider along with him not what could have happened, but what did happen. And that will lead us to the response for today. What, what do we live in? What reality do we live in in knowing that our help is in the name of the Lord? Psalm 124 begins with sort of this, you might even say, awkward break in verse 1. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, there's this, this almost stutter, this repetition so that David can, can call all of God's people to say this along with him. And so at the very outset of the Psalm, we see that this Psalm is very much written in the covenantal context. What's, what's the covenantal context? I've mentioned the word several times already in prayer, introducing the law. What is this covenantal context? Well, the covenant is that relationship that God has established with us, whereby he promises to be our God and he promises to make us his people. It's that relationship which he has has made binding upon himself, but in which he also calls us to respond, respond in all sorts of different ways to the love and the faithfulness that he shows to us. And so at the outset, David will not let us miss that if the Lord, capital letters there, if Yahweh, the covenantal God, had not been on our side. And let all Israel say this. This is a song of the covenant. And so David calls the whole assembly together and he calls all believers everywhere and at all times to take stock and ask themselves and each other The question that he goes on to ask, what if? What if? What if the Lord had not been on our side? Now, it's not put exactly in the form of a question, but that is essentially what David is is calling us to do, to ask that question, what if? What if the Lord was not on our side? And then David goes on to to say, well, why would we need the Lord on our side? What difference does it make? Why do we need the Lord on our side in the first place? What's the big problem? Well, the big problem that David is writing about in this psalm is the enemies that stand against him and all the people of God. God's people are under attack. And so David says, what if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us and when their anger flared up against us? And David knew all too well, didn't he? You know the life of David? Children, you've, you've learned, I'm sure, about David and all the battles that he fought, all the battles that he faced. He knew the attacks of evil men. He had lived by the sword for the entire time that he was anointed by God to rule over God's people. He wouldn't have had to search too far in his own memory to recall what it was like to stand up against Goliath, that giant who was blaspheming against the Lord. David stood against him as a as a young man with one simple weapon in his hand. What if the Lord had not been on our side if he st- when he stood against David, uh Goliath? What if the Lord had not been on On his side as he stood against Saul when Saul was relentlessly pursuing his life. Or when he found himself caught among the Philistines, those arch enemies of the Israelites. The king had him in his own court. David, this mighty warrior, could have put him to death. What if the Lord had not been on his side? David knew what it was like to stand against enemies. And he wouldn't have had to go too much further back into Israel's history to know what it would have been like if God had not been on their side as they faced their enemies. The Israelites faced a long line of enemies. They 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 stood up against the Egyptians who had oppressed them. They were attacked ruthlessly in the desert by the Amalekites. They had fought a war against the Ammonites. They fought against the Moabites. Every nation that was around them was their enemy. They were constantly under attack. The book of Judges is a catalog of those attacks and also often of their losing those battles. God's people were people under constant attack. They had many, many enemies. That leads us to consider this morning, right at the outset, so we can be clear at the beginning. What sort of enemies do we face today? As David writes this, he has in mind certain enemies that he faced. And the question is, do we face the same kind of enemies today? Do we have enemies like the Moabites and the Philistines? Well, God's covenant promises remain the same. God's faithfulness endures forever. But the reality is that we face our enemies in a different context today than David and Israel did in their day. We're not so much afraid of of a foreign army coming and, and, and attacking our church building, attacking the church in Canada or the church around the world for that matter. No, but as Paul writes in Ephesians 6, he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is the time of the new covenants. This is the time of the covenant going beyond the bounds, the ge- geographical bounds even of Israel, and going out into the whole world. And so our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of evil in this dark world. Against the spiritual forces of evil. Today, our enemies are spiritual enemies. And they attack us at all times and from all different angles. And sometimes they do stand up along with and behind that group that is outwardly and with force attacking the church. And that does happen around the world. It's a reality that, that still the church can, can see a defined group of enemies people even, nations that stand against them. But often, in this new covenant age, the the ways and the the means of evil are different. They're more subtle and more deadly. We are under attack. The chief ally and, and leader of our enemies is, in fact, the same one who stood with the Ammonites the Egyptians, the Moabites, when they went up against Israel. That is Satan, the serpent, the devil. And so we too, we know of enemies. We fight this battle every day against our enemies. We know how powerful they are. So what would happen to us if the Lord had not been on our side? well, the same as it was for David and for the people of God in his time, it would have been utter destruction. We would have been swallowed up alive. Striking that David uses this imagery of a snake swallowing up his prey. David, too, knew of the serpent, the snake, who was the enemy of God's people. We would have been... We would be as powerless against our enemies as people facing a flood. That's what David goes on to say. They would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. We know, too, how how powerful and powerfully destructive a flood is. Sadly, we know that all too well. You've probably seen images at least or even video of the flood that came up against Japan when they faced their tsunami, that, that flood that just washed away buildings and cars and people along with it. We know the tsunami in Indonesia where it wasn't just houses and cars and boats that were swept away, but whole towns and villages. That went under the waters and never came up again. A flood is an absolutely and powerfully devastating disaster. A thunderstorm may strike a few. An earthquake affects many, but a flood holds no prisoners. We know the power of a flood. We know that the Lord sent his judgment against the world through a flood. And all mankind was put to death except for Noah and his family. If you line up all the enemies that God's people have faced in the past, the people didn't stand a chance. They would have been utterly Destroyed. If you consider our enemies today, how powerful is Satan in this dark world? Just read the news. Hear of the events in Colorado. Hear of the natural disasters. How powerful is Satan in this dark world? And how much of the world has not capitulated to his agenda? Even as, as these terrible things happen, these terrible crimes happen, yet Satan's ways and Satan's agenda continue to be carried on by this world. The very one they follow is the one who is attacking them. And how much don't we, even as God's people, still continue to find ourselves drawn in and tempted by his deceitful schemes? We're drawn into this dark world. It it allures us. It tempts us. It's attractive to something within us. We find ourselves walking into these traps that the devil lays on our path. So what if the Lord had not been on our side? Let's take a step back for a minute and let's consider together this song being brought to us by not King David, but by King Jesus. He's the one ultimately who stands behind this song. Consider if King Jesus is giving these words to us to put on our lips, how much more pointed the words of this psalm become. What if Yahweh, what if the God of the covenant, the heavenly father had not been on his side when evil men stood against him, when they attacked him, when they plotted for his life, when they falsely accused him, when they sent him to death? We surely would have perished eternally. Yes, it would have been a return to the flood, a return to universal judgment and condemnation. The hopes of God's people would have remained buried with him in the grave where he would have stayed if God was not on his side. What if the Lord was not on our side? But the Lord was on our side. He is the Lord of the covenant. He is on our side. He's the faithful God. He's the God who promises and does not fail on those promises. Christ was being attacked on the cross by wicked men because God was on our side. God at that moment was fulfilling his promise to give a savior and to redeem his people from their sins. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so Satan laid his trap, he pursued his schemes, but God was on our side. And he displayed his loving faithfulness to his covenant promises by raising Jesus Christ up from the dead, victorious over sin and death and the devil. So we move on from what could have happened to what did happen. In our reading this morning, we read from 2 Samuel chapter 8, where the many victories of David are recorded. And a roster of success like that, David conquered these people, killed lots of people here, took over this country, these guys paid them tribute. That would make anybody puffed up and confident, wouldn't it? In fact, it it did for David, and at one point in his life he was tempted to take a census to see how powerful he had become. And how many times haven't we experienced this in our lives as well? You come up against something that is just overwhelming. You feel completely powerless against it. You realize that there's no way that you can conquer what stands before you, and so you get on your knees and you ask God for help. Because you know that your help is in his name. And then, and sometimes it's even surprising to us, but it it shouldn't be surprising because of how powerful God is. What once seemed unconquerable is conquered. That trial that stood before you like a mountain that you could never get over, you find yourself at the top. You made it. You've been delivered. You've been redeemed. The problem is, what happens after that? What's often our reaction after or at that moment or after we overcome so easily that the thought comes in, hey, I did it. I overcame. I I was strong enough. I wasn't overcome. I wasn't overwhelmed. I avoided all the pitfalls. I made it through. And the help that the Lord most certainly gave is forgotten by us or underplayed so that our own pride is is puffed up. And this is perhaps the experience that David is, is writing against as he pens this psalm. Because it's true that David faced enemies. But it's also true that David so often overcame those enemies. What what characterized David's reign wasn't defeat, but it was victory. Victory after victory. That list from 2 Samuel 8 is completely staggering. Those enemies that David conquered, and it's just sort of routinely listed off there, those are the enemies that had been oppressing God's people for so long, ever since they came to the land of Canaan. And even before that, they had been oppressed by enemies. And 2 Samuel 8 is almost offhand in its catalog of victories. Philistines, oh, no problem. Take care of them. Ammonites, please. Arameans, done. Moabites, piece of cake. And so lest the people of God become puffed up in their pride, David calls them together to remember that the Lord was the one who gave the victory. He calls them to confess together that these victories would not have happened unless the Lord was on their side. Because that's the reality. And that's what David wants us to remember. That's what the Spirit of God wants us to remember. We may not always be aware of it. We may not always appreciate it. We may not always feel it. But the fact remains that it is God who secures us, who protects us, and who gives us the victory. And this goes back to that interplay at the very beginning of the psalm. It's because of God's covenant with us. He's called us to be his own. He's promised to be faithful to us. Yes, without the Lord, God's people would have been ripped apart. If not by Pharaoh, then by the Amalekites. If not by the Amalekites, then by the Ammonites or the Amorites. And if not by then by the Canaanites, and the list goes on and on and on of the enemies who could have torn the people of God asunder, but didn't, because God is faithful. And So how does David describe what happens for the people of God? I love this metaphor in, in verse 7. He says, we've escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped those days, people would use nets. They'd, they'd lay them on the ground in a place where, where birds, waterfowl, ducks, or pheasants, or something like that, would, would congregate. They'd lay their nets on the ground, and they'd, they'd wait for the birds to, to come over the nets. Maybe they'd bait them. And then when enough birds were on top of the net, they'd, they'd pull their strings tight, and the, the net would snap shut over all the birds, and then they would use those to eat or for sacrifice or whatever They might use those birds for that's a snare that's the kind of snare that that David is talking about not sure if if we're too familiar with snares like this so let me try to put it this way for the children and for all of us it's sort of like a fly swatter it's a little different but the imagery is the same have you ever used a fly swatter you know if flies are they're annoying they buzz around, and they land on you, and they get on your food, and so sometimes you just want to swat them away. You just wait till a fly lands, it's unsuspecting, and you swing that swatter as flat fast as you can. Well, imagine you're using a fly swatter, but someone without you knowing came in, they cut the middle right out of that fly swatter. So the only thing that was left was a little bit around the edge. Do you know how frustrating that would be to try and kill a fly with that fly swatter? You could be the best fly swatter in the world. You could have all the right tricks and know just the the right angle of attack to come at them so that they're unsuspecting. You swing your swatter and every single time that fly would just buzz away because there's a hole in your fly swatter. That's what it's like for Satan when he tries to attack the people of God. Just like that hole in the fly swatter. He sets his net, he sets his trap, everything's perfect, and then he pulls the string or he swings the swatter, and we just escape. Because there's a hole in his net. There's a hole in his fly swatter. He can't touch us. That's what David says. We've escaped like a bird. When there's a hole in the net of the fowler, the bird just flies away, free as a bird. Doesn't matter how good he is or how good his net is. God's people again and again and again and again and again have escaped from that hole. You imagine how frustrating it must have been for Pharaoh. Israelites leave, sure. He's got his whole army. He's pursuing them. He knows right, he knows exactly where they're going. They're headed toward the Red Sea. They're going to come up against the Red Sea. They don't stand a chance there. He'll pin them, grab them all, bring them back, keep them as slaves so they can do his work for him. So then you come up to the banks of the Red Sea, and then you see that the waters of the Red Sea have split, and the people are walking through them on dry ground. They just escaped out of this hole through the water. Can you imagine being Saul? You're pursuing David... You're trying to kill him, but then twice, David almost kills you. The only reason he doesn't is because he's obedient to God and he's not going to kill God's anointed. Or Achish, king of Gath, you've got David, this mighty warrior, the future king of Israel, your enemies, right in your court. What happens, you believe that he's insane and you let him go, free as a bird. Our Lord Jesus Christ also experienced this in his life. When he was driven to the edge of a cliff by his fellow townspeople, when they wanted to kill him, and what happened? It says he just walked right through them. He just walked away. God opened up this hole, and he escaped. But you know that at the end of Christ's life, his enemies got exactly what they wanted. They laid the bait, they sprang the trap, they swung the swatter, And they caught Jesus in their trap of deception and lies. They put him to death on a cross, shamed and humiliated, abandoned by everyone. But, and this must have been so frustrating to Satan and all his demons, he escaped like a bird from a net. His father accepted the sacrifice for sins that he was making. And so he escaped free, But not only him, but all of God's people with him. God accepted his sacrifice and he vindicated him and he lifted him up from the grave. And then he brought him up to his right hand in heaven. So that Jesus flew through the heavens as the author of Hebrews writes in chapter four. What's going on there? Well, that's God's covenant love in action. That's God's saving love in action. Satan plans and schemes and traps, but it's always in vain. So what is for us today? This protection and escape that is consistent for God's people throughout their history, and it's consistent with our lives, too. Of course it is, because we too know of that loving relationship that we have with God. We know of his covenant. We know of his love. We know what God has affirmed and affirmed and secure, secured through the covenant of grace that he makes with his people. This is real, tangible, present grace. It's not just some past event. It makes a difference for us now, today, in the present And it will in the future. Just as God's covenant is real for us right now. Just as those promises are communicated, signified and sealed in baptism. And so what are the present responses? What should it be like for us now in response to the salvation that God gives us? The first one is it should be praise. Verse 6. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn. Yes, of course, praise. That hole in Satan's net, that's a hole of God's making. God is ripping that hole. It's that hole that demonstrates God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Ultimately, it was and it is the great work of Jesus Christ on the cross that shreds the nets of Satan and renders them useless. And last but not least, the response to the salvation of God is the confidence in the confession that comes at the very end of the song. The one we take on our lips every week. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The what happened is so different from the what could have been because of that eternal truth in verse 8. Because our help is in the name of the Lord. That's the point of this whole psalm. We have a helper. We always have a helper. As long as his name is Yahweh, as long as he is the Lord of the covenant, we have a helper. The powerful Lord who created heaven and earth is the powerful Lord who fights our battles for us. What if God had not been on our side? Look at the testimony of Scripture. God has been on our side again and again and again and again. Consider the reality that God sent His Son into this world to redeem us from our sins and from the clutches of Satan. God is on our side. Let us never stop confessing that our help is In the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.